I, uh, I want to share, I've said this before, but kind of reopen uh, my philosophy of preaching so you understand where we're going here in 2018. It's been my attempt, so far as your pastor, to, in a given year, if the Spirit leads in this direction, okay, and I always want to be Spirit-led, to preach completely through an Old Testament book, to preach through a New Testament book, to preach through a topic, a doctrine, and a portion of a gospel. If I can do that in one year, you've got a full and well-balanced diet of the whole counsel of God, which is what Paul says we need to do. This past year, by God's grace, we preached through the entire book of Jonah in the Old Testament, the book of James in the New Testament. Our topic was kingdom stewardship. Our doctrine was the doctrine of prayer as we walked through the Lord's Prayer. And then, of course, right around Christmas, we walked through Mark chapter 3. Now we engage in a new year here in 2018 and in a new journey together. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. The sermon series that I will lead us into beginning today is a sermon series that was not even on my radar as late as Thanksgiving. It was something that wasn't even thinking about. But God did something to me. In my personal devotional time with the Lord, specifically in the book of Psalms, which is my favorite book, inside my favorite book, God pricked my heart and said, Bo, I want you and the people that you lead to be more diligent in pursuing my presence. And so what I'm going to do for the next few weeks, being spirit led, don't know how long, maybe six or seven weeks, I'm going to walk through the doctrine of the presence of God. What does it mean that God is present in our lives? In fact, I'm going to start off our series by asking you a question. Here's something to think about. Okay, think about this. How would you describe God's presence in your daily life? I gave you a blank sheet of paper and a pen and said, tell me what it means that God is present in your life. What would you write down? How is God present in your life? Now, I would venture to say that there are some differences that I would read based on a few things. Okay, one would be gender. I would expect the, the women to write something possibly a little bit different than the men. Uh, generationally, for those in this church that are older and been walking with the Lord a little bit longer, I would expect you to say something than some of our younger Christians. And also culturally, I would say that Americans probably see God in a different way than the rest of the world. Uh, so let me go back to the first one, gender. Okay, this, doesn't, this is not a one-to-one -one ratio. This is not perfect every time. But I would say generally speaking, I would imagine that the ladies in this room are a little bit more sensitive and open to having a relationship with God. And that doesn't mean that the men here aren't, but it means generally speaking, it seems like women are more naturally inclined to engage in a relationship because that's how God has wired us. Okay, generationally speaking, I would venture to say that for those of you in the room that are older, you, you probably think God in more of a reverence. God is a, a, a creator. He's a ruler to be worshipped. And the image that I have in my mind of the older generation is a well-worn KJV family Bible that's put in the family safe. All right, For the younger generation, specifically the millennial generation, you see God more as a friend. And I would imagine the image I have in my head, and I've seen this about a thousand times, is on Facebook the picture of the, the snazzy new Bible on the left, a big coffee mug on the right with a catchy quote on the Bible mug, and it's a black and white picture, and you're taking it at a coffee house, getting ready to have devotional time with the Lord. All right, so there's a generational gap there. And then our, as a country, you know, America, and I believe this is nowhere else I'd rather live, 
I believe we live in the greatest country in the world. I'm so grateful for the freedom that we have to worship God rightly according to our own convictions. And I'm so grateful for the men and women who protected the freedom for us to do that. But there's one thing the rest of the world, and specifically those who've been on the mission field, know this. Americans are known as being individualistic. We do, we do see we're more individual than a lot of other nations. So Americans, when they think of God, they think of individual presence. Where other countries would probably think of the presence of God in their church, or the presence of God in their family, or even the presence of God in their country. Oftentimes we think of the presence of God in our own lives. None of what I'm saying is wrong, by the way. There's just different ways in which we approach the presence of God. But what I'm hoping to do here in the next few weeks is poke and prod our hearts and minds to open up and say, are we consciously aware of God's presence in our life? Do we understand what God promised us, promises us in His Word and what we can do to draw closer to Him? Because here's what I believe. Even though God interacts with all of us a little bit different, there are still concrete biblical principles that can help us to understand who God is and why we can enjoy a greater presence of Him in our life if we are willing to repent and place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's the big idea? As we walk into Psalm 139, the title of our passage is The Portrait of God's Presence. And the big idea that I want us to get here in Psalm 139 is this. There are two distinct dimensions of God's presence that we need to understand if we want to experience more of Him in our day-to-day lives. It's going to be a simple message today, two-point message, okay? I'm saving all the points up and I'm going to hit you with a five-point message later. But this is a two-point message. Really simple, but not easy. Okay? I want us to think about the two distinct dimensions of God's presence. And if we understand both of them, we can begin to pursue a greater sweetness with God in 2018. And that's my prayer for my own life. And that's my prayer for everybody in this room. Let me tell you a little secret. Pastors preach best what they struggle with most. I don't know if you know that. I struggle with this. There are days that tears stream down my face and I say, God, why do you feel like you're a million miles away from me? And then sometimes tears stream down my face because I feel the presence of God as close to me as the air I breathe. I want to know more about how I can draw close to God. So I'm preaching this series, asking God to fill me with his Holy Spirit, fill me with his truth, and that I would respond to this truth in faith as much as I would call you to do the same thing. This is not a series of, hey, look what I figured out, follow me. This is a series of, hey, look what I want, where I want to go, let's go together. That's really where my heart is. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Psalms. Okay, we're going to be in Psalm 139. This is a Psalm of David, Psalm 139, verses 1 through 10. If you do not have a Bible, please grab the pew Bible in front of you or beside you. It is on page 618 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. We are in Psalm 139, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. Starting in verse 1, hear God's word to us. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. 
You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, we love you. Father, as we embark on a whole new series and we walk through this together, I I confess to you, Father, I just want more of you. And I believe that's the cry of the heart of many in this room. Father, would you help us? Would you open up our heart and our mind to receive the truth of your word and to understand what it is to be understood about your sweet presence, but also to respect that there's an element of your presence that is a great mystery and that we should praise you in what's true and what's also mysterious. Father, be with us now as we consider the truth of Psalm 139. Help us to understand your presence, for I believe with all of my heart, God, you put this on my heart weeks ago because it's something you desire for all of us in 2018. Be with us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, and God's people once again said, amen. As we start this journey again um, in 2018, walking through the idea of the presence of God, I want to make a couple of things clear right from the beginning. All right, I need you to listen to me closely here. As we consider what it means to be in the presence of God, I want us to put our minds and hearts on pursuing a person and not an experience. Because the experiences change, but the person does not. And here's why I say that, okay? I have, I've shared my, my experience with you of, of how I came to know Jesus. I have worshipped in many different denominations, okay? I have found a wonderful home as a Southern Baptist. I've been Southern Baptist ordained and trained, and I'm sure I'll be a Southern Baptist the rest of my life. But I have gleaned wonderful truths of the Christian faith from pretty much every Bible teaching denomination. And I'm grateful for all of them. But one of the struggles that I have had over the years with my friends who come from more charismatic denominations is this. Many of them manipulate the Holy Spirit to have an experience instead of pursuing a person. All right. God is a person. And if you know God and you experience God through a fullness of the Holy Spirit, you will have experiences in your life. And some of them will be beyond words. But we're not called to pursue experiences. We're called to pursue a person. Because if you pursue experiences, here's some dangers. When you're in the midst of trouble and God feels like he's a million miles away, you might start, you might start believing that. And again, God, if you're a Christian, is not only among you, is not only with you, but he's in you. And the second danger is this. If you begin pursuing God as an experience and you don't get the experience that you desire, you may walk away from the Lord. In fact, I see that example if you look at the correlation in marriage. Almost always, 
in divorce, not every time, but almost always, when people part ways, it's because they got together when they had an experience, a season of life that was euphoric, and it blinded them to who they really were, and then they got married, and the the experience changed, and they got to know the real person, and when they did, they exited stage left. And what I want to say is this, much like our marriages, our relationship with God is one in which we need to be pursuing a person and not an experience. I need to make that clear as we walk through this, because I've read a lot of books, I've prayed a lot of prayers, and I've seen a lot of things where people who talk about the presence of God pursue a mystical experience that goes beyond what scripture teaches. But at the same time, let me say this, as you pursue a person, you need to open your heart and mind to experience him in a new way because God will do and can do anything and I do want to have a wonderful experience with God I want to see his power in my life don't you don't you want to see change don't you want to see the spirit of God stirring your heart in such a way that it changes who you are and it changes your life I want that And that's why I'm walking through the scriptures for the next few weeks, pursuing the presence of God. I want more of God in my life, and I pray that you do too. And if you do, let's lock arms and walk through this together. I don't know where the the end of this journey is going to take us, but we're going to do it verse by verse, week by week, and ask God, give us more of you, God, in 2018. Before we walk through the first part of the passage, the final thing I'll say is, as we consider the presence of God, We need to understand if he is a person, there are principles in scripture that can help us draw closer to him, but there's not a magic formula. I I cringe, I cringe when I go to Christian bookstores and I see these popular pastors writing books that talk about the five steps that get you closer to God. God is beyond a formula. It is not just pour it into the pot, stir it up and and, uh, cool to serve. No, he's not a formula. He's a person and we'll all experience him a little bit differently. And that is to be expected. I think you can look around this room and see different color eyes and different color skin and different color hair and celebrate that God enjoys diversity. Amen. And that therefore he enjoys interacting with us all differently. But at the same time, the reason why we study God's word is there are general biblical principles that God does say, if you are willing to repent, if you are willing to trust in me, if you're willing to read, read my word, if you're willing to dedicate your life to prayer, there are things that you can do to put yourself in a position to have God draw you closer to him. And that's what I want. And that's what I want for all of us. So what I'm going to do today is kind of get a bird's eye view of the presence of God. I'm going to talk about just two dimensions of the presence of God. All right, and I'm going to connect it through the psalm here. So the first of the two that I'd like to say is this. Number one, let let us look at God's presence as a sovereign ruler. God's presence as a sovereign ruler. Okay, verses one through eight says this. Keep your Bibles open. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol. You are there. 
Now, as I read these first eight verses, there's two qualities of God. And if you've never heard these words, don't let them scare you. I'm going to tell you exactly what they mean. Many of our older Christians or more mature Christians have heard these words over the past few years. Uh, but if you've never heard the word, just let me explain it. All right. In this first eight passage, the first eight verses of this passage, we see first the omniscience of God. Omniscience basically means God knows everything at all times. How do I know that? Well, look, look at what David says. Again, keep your eyes on the, on the text here. He basically says that you search me and you know me. You know, when I sit down, you know, when I rise up, you know, my thoughts before I think them, you know, my path before I walk it, you know, my bed before I sleep in it, you know, my words before I speak them, you know, everything and everywhere. God, you are omniscient. That's what David is saying. There's nothing that God does not know that should scare us and that should excite us. There's there's not a thought, a passing thought in your mind that God was not already aware that you were going to think and is not aware now that you're actually thinking it. There's not a word that you've spoken that he's not aware of that you're not going to speak or that you're speaking now. And there's not an action that you've ever done that was done in such secret that even God himself didn't know about it. So when we talk about the presence of God, we can say that he is a sovereign ruler, which means he is everywhere at all times. And that's a general principle for Christians and non-Christians alike. God is everywhere at all times. God is in this room right now, right now. But not only is he omniscient, which means he knows everything at all times, he's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at all times. As I just mentioned, verses seven through eight say, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. I know most of you probably don't use the word Sheol. All right, it's a transliteration of a Hebrew word that basically talked about death prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. Sheol was this just lifeless dimension after the spirit left the body before the coming of Christ. And so for him to say that Heaven is up there and Sheol's down there. Basically, he's saying, heaven or hell, no matter where you're going, no matter what you're doing, you can't escape the presence of God. Now, all of us, we know that up here, right? If you've, if you've ever thought about God for even a short time in your life, even if you'd never been in church and you've heard the name of God, you've probably thought to yourself, well, I know this, Pastor Bo. I know God is everywhere at all times. But stop and think a little bit further. If God is sovereign, which means he is in control of everything, past, present, and future, and he's a ruler, which means he, he decides what's right and wrong, how should our understanding of him as a sovereign ruler, present in every moment of our lives, how should that change the way we live? How should that change the way we live? First of all, since God is holy, it should lead us into what is a reverent fear. Now, again, I've mentioned this many weeks before, but I know we have people coming and going and repetition is good for us. Fear is not being scared of God's punishment as much as it is having a reverence for God's character. Now, some of us, we should still have a reverent fear that when we sin, there's consequences for our sin. But for Christians, it says in Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're a Christian, you don't need to be afraid of losing your salvation because you cannot lose what you did not earn. But you should be afraid when you live in sin because there's not one sin you've committed that God is not fully aware of. And all sin leaves a mark. All sin has consequences. All sin should lead us to repentance. 
But the other thing that we talk about is that uh, if God is sovereign and we're sinful, it naturally should lead us to repent daily. If we truly know God, I believe this with all my heart. Some of you, when we, leave, when we start Sunday morning with that private time of confession and silence, there are some of you in this room that probably close your eyes and think, what did I really do wrong this week? I mean, what do I really have to confess? And I'm telling you, when I first was a Christian, that happened to me. I would think, you know, I, I didn't hurt anybody this week. I didn't steal anything this week. I showed up at work on time this week. I didn't lose my temper this week. I haven't been in trouble with the law this week. I mean, really, what do I have to confess? I'm telling you right now, I, I'm, I'd be embarrassed to share with you how much I have to confess every day. Because I know that God knows my thoughts. And if that's all, if I never speak an evil word or do an evil deed, guess what? I'm a sinner. And if you looked inside my mind, it would shock you unless you reminded yourself that I'm human just like you are. I ask people this all the time. If you don't think you're a sinner, give me permission to take every thought you've had for 24 hours and show it on the projector screen. Anybody sign up for that? Probably not, right? That proves that we're sinful. We have evil thoughts in our heart and in our mind. All of us, some of us more evil than others. God's cleansing us, okay? He's making us more like Jesus. But there's not a day that goes by that a, a thought doesn't come into my mind. And my first thought is, Bo, you're a pastor, man. You're a pastor. Where's that thought coming from? You know, that's a really selfish thought. That's a really prideful thought. Why would you think that? But you know what? I'm a sinner. And so are you. We struggle. But God enables us to repent. And so when we think about God as a sovereign ruler, it should lead us to have a reverent fear for him. And it should lead us to be in repentance. Now, let me move into another aspect of God's presence that I think most of you would be a little bit more interested in. Okay, they're both important, but this one's a lot more fun to talk about. All right, so we talked about God's presence as a sovereign ruler. Now let's talk about number two, God's presence as a relational father. All right, the last two verses in the passage here, verses 9 through 10 says this. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, and I love this, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. A relational father gives us a hand to lead us and a hand to hold us. That's why he's got two hands. And you know what? What I just read is offered to everyone, but it, not everybody's experiencing it. Now, the first part, God being a sovereign ruler, you can't avoid that, all right? The, the most scathing atheist in the world has to admit that God's present in their life as a sovereign ruler. You can't escape God. However, having God as a relational father, that's conditional. You play a role in that. You have a response to receive that. And even if you are a Christian and he is your father, you still have a responsibility to do things that will help you draw closer to him because you may be doing things that are pushing him farther away. All right, we don't need to confuse the two. The reason I started off this sermon series with this passage is I want every, everyone in this room to think of this. God is present everywhere at all times. He's sovereign in control. He knows everything. But God is not a relational father who loves and provides and protects for everyone in the same way. It's different but before I get to the conclusion, I would say, how should we respond if we have the opportunity 
to engage with a loving Father who wants to protect us and who wants to provide for us. You know what our response should be? Dependence and surrender. Giving every aspect of our lives over to Him. You know, the Bible talks all the time about pray without ceasing. How many things in our life, and I always share this in our Sunday school hour, how many things in our life do we try and do on our own before asking God for help? We forget that He's a Father. I forget it. Oh, so many things I want to see changed in my life. And by my own human effort, I try to make it possible. And the more I try, the more I get in the way of the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work that he wants to do in my life. And I, I would venture it's the same for most of you in this room. God wants to do more in your life in 2018. He wants to draw close to you. He wants to enjoy a sweetness with you. He wants you to know him as a father. He wants you to grow in your relationship and in your walk with him. But there are things that you and I are doing that are slowing down that process. And that's why this this sermon series is on my heart. So how do I sum this up to prepare us for the weeks ahead? In one sentence, I would say this. The relational presence of God in our daily lives may be fractured because of sin, but it can be restored because of Christ. All right, I said before, everyone knows God as a sovereign ruler, whether you acknowledge him or not. Atheists cannot avoid the presence of God because he's everywhere, but atheists cannot know God as father. They cannot know his provision. They cannot know his protection. They cannot know his love. They cannot know a sweetness of his day-to-day presence. And the reason why is this. Sin separates us from God. And that sin has to be taken care of. And that sin was taken care of on the cross through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you give me just 60 seconds, I want to walk you through Scripture here. All right, I want you to stop at Genesis or start at Genesis, and think with me for just a minute here. Just think with me about how the presence of God has changed and how Jesus makes it possible for us to experience God in a way that we never have before. All right, think about this for a moment. Think about the Garden of Eden in Genesis. The Bible says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. God was with them as a father. He was right there with them. He was present with them. And then what happened? Sin entered into the equation and they were kicked out of the garden. Now, God did not fully leave them, but they also did not experience the same presence they did before sin got in the way. All right, so after the Garden of Eden, you go further down. All right, you see later on in Genesis through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. All right, you see God beginning to interact with certain people because he's getting ready to build a nation, the nation of Israel. And Israel is going to be the way that he, re- that he responds to the rest of the world. The world that doesn't know him, he's going to show who he is through a nation. And that's what the whole Old Testament's about. All right, and then Moses. God is present with Moses. He speaks to him through the burning bush. He calls him up to Mount Sinai. He institutes the Ten Commandments, and he begins to build this nation. And this nation is how God is interacting with the world. He's showing who, the, who he is through this nation of Israel. And then the nation of Israel, further on in Exodus and on into Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus, you see that God travels, his presence is is in a tabernacle, and eventually, after Solomon builds the temple, his presence rests in the temple, in a physical building. But make no mistake about it, there's a curtain. And mankind can't go to the other side of the curtain except for the Levitical priests, and only then just to make sacrifices on behalf of mankind. But guess what happened? 
at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the curtain was torn in two, which means God and mankind once again had the opportunity to reunite. You can go directly to the Father without a priest because Jesus himself is your priest. He's torn the curtain. You have direct access to God and his daily presence in your life. And and better than that, as we see in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus ascends to the Father, he sends down his helper, the Holy Spirit. So God is not only just among us, God is not only just beside us, God is in us. So there's things that you can do as a Christian because God is inside of you and God wants a relationship with you. There's things that you can do that will draw you closer and there's things that you can do that will stop and push farther away. It's not that you lose God, it's that you don't experience the presence and the sweetness of a relational father because of sin. And so the next few weeks, we're going to talk about things that we can do, tangible things we can do to repent, to grow in our faith through prayer and the reading of the scriptures and the worship of God corporately in church that will help us to grow in experiencing a greater presence of God in our life. So I'll just say this as we pray. If you are a Christian, you may not be experiencing the full benefits of your salvation. Baptists are notorious for this. The gift of being a Baptist is that most of us are evangelistically focused. We know about the gospel. We know about the great commission to share the gospel. We want to see people to come to faith in Jesus. When I became a Christian, I found strength as a Southern Baptist because we were so focused on that. And that's a gift to be celebrated. But if we're not careful, there's an idea as Southern Baptist of, well, I got to get saved and then I got to get other, other people saved and I got to share the gospel. And the goal for them is to get people in church. That's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to get God inside of you. And then as God is inside of you, to grow as God is inside of you, to be more like Jesus and to experience more of a sweetness with God. That's the goal. Relationship. That's what God desires That was God's desire from the very beginning in Genesis. Salvation makes it possible. We don't have to wait till heaven to have a relationship with God. He wants it with you right now in 2018. And if you'll draw close to him and you'll follow the principles of his word, it's not a formula, but there are things we can do that will help us to draw close to him in 2018. If you're a Christian, walk with me. If you're not a Christian, if you're in this room and you've never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that offer is still on the table as long as you have breath in your lungs. Would you put your faith in Jesus? Would you admit that God loves you, but that you're a sinner and because of your sin, God cannot know you as a father until that sin is taken care of? The sin was taken care of on the cross. It was nailed to that wood that if you put your faith in him, you're adopted into a family and you can know him as a father. If you're not Christian, would you, would you give your life and your faith to Jesus so that you could know the presence of God and your life and your eternity would be changed forever? Everyone is welcome to come as we sing. You can pray privately. If you'd like for me to pray with you, it'd be my honor to do that as well. Don't let another month go by without knowing more of the presence of God in your life. Let's pray. Father, again, I just, uh, my heart burns to know you. 
And I'm looking into the eyes of people in this room who have burning hearts to know you. Would you answer the cry of our hearts, Father, and help us in a season that we could look back as a church and say, God really drew close to us and we really drew close to him in 2018. Be with us, Father, I pray. For any that does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, Father, would you at this moment, through the power of your Holy Spirit, remove a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh that they could respond in repentance and faith. And for those that do know you, Father, would you bring to our heart and mind sin that is getting in the way that we could repent of that sin and enjoy a more closeness with your presence in this year, Father. I love you. I love you so much. I just pray you do that in my life and the life of this church. And that I pray, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.